Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome back to another Musicpreneur Movement episode. Hope you had a great weekend. This is your host, Eddie V, on the ones and twos. Today on the show, we have a really special guest and a really great opportunity for those of you wanting to grow your income passively. He is the founder of CinderTrack, which is a new way that's going to revolutionize the way we make extra passive income in the music business. So make sure you stick all the way to the end because we'll be talking about different copyright laws, how to protect yourself, how to make money with just different opportunities that CinderTrack gives you. So I think this will be really beneficial for those of you that want to grow in income. And of course, I mean, who doesn't, right? So make sure you stick around to the end. And here we go. Cue the intro. Have you ever looked in the mirror and wondered, yikes, I thought I'd be way farther ahead of my music career by now? If so, you're not alone. I spent the last few years learning from the most ingenious musicians and managers around, looking for the answers. The problem is that music is a very personal thing and the fear of rejection was holding me back, and you can probably relate to that. I realized that no one was talking about their failures and rejections in the music business, just the glory and fame. So I decided to press the reset button and start this whole music thing over, to go all out build a music career completely from scratch. But the real question is, how will I do it? Join me on my journey as we get to the deep questions with our guests that no one cares to ask to reveal the secret strategies and techniques to skyrocket your music career and begin to shake up the music industry as we know it. My name is Eddie Villaseca, and this is Musicpreneur Movement Podcast. Our guest today is Ben Turner. Ben is the founder and CEO of CinderTrack, which is a new music platform that allows the next generation of session musicians, producers, and mix engineers to pay artists to work on their music. He is a full-time studio mix engineer in Nashville, Tennessee, but got his start as a live sound engineer. He has toured with Jennifer Lopez, Justin Bieber, Billy Joel, Nick Jonas, and Gavin DeGraw. On this episode, we'll be discussing how he transitioned from live sound to the studio and how that changed in careers led him to founding CinderTrack. So how you doing, Ben? Good, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course. How are things over there in Nashville? Dude, it is uh, surprisingly warm. Been getting yeah. some golf in. It's been, uh, it's been great. Yeah, I leaves on the ground, so you, you know, lose <laughs> balls, but uh, they like to hide under those. But besides that, it's been good, man. Like summer came back this week, everywhere. Yeah, totally. I'm it's, not mad at it, man. I, if yeah. it was just warm all year, I'd be stoked about that. Yeah. Do you have leaves to pick up? Uh, if I cared, then yes. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't. It's yeah. you know, I'm not one of those guys. It's like ah, they'll decompose. They'll yeah. I mean, they're good in the woods. They'll be good yeah. on my on my <laughs> lawn. <laughs> nice. So. If you want to tell us just a little bit about how you got into music and where you are now. Yeah. So music for me has been kind of a thing that um, I've had just kind of as a part of my whole life. Um, I got, you know, I started playing guitar and in middle school and all that kind of stuff. And um, one of my guitar teachers would do this really cool thing where he would encourage us to play with each other. So sometimes you'd come into a guitar lesson and um, he'd have one of his other students in there. And then you would go and you guys would end up playing together. And so it gave you the opportunity to learn 
to jam with people and, and you meet new people that were also guitar players and kind of that kind of thing. And that was kind of a really cool thing that he did. One of the ways that I ended up getting into live sound was actually through that at a very young age. So I, I showed up at one of these jam sessions and he had a whole band this time. So drummer, bass player, a bunch of guitar players. All the guitar amps were taken and I had my guitar and my, my pedal board. And he's like, well, that's fine. We'll just plug you into the PA system. And I was like, okay, cool. So he plugs me into the PA. So I'm standing there in the middle of the room and I got these two big speakers that are shooting at me. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. This is what I want to do. I don't, why do I need a guitar amp? This sounds way cooler than a guitar mm. amp. Uh, so I literally went out and 15 years old, bought myself a PA system for a guitar amp. And so one of these bands that was also a student of these, my guitar teacher, got a gig at one of these pizza places in town. And they hit me up and they're like, hey, so we're playing this show at this pizza place. Can you come do sound for us? I was like, I don't, I mean, it, that's my guitar amp, dude. Like, <laughs> you know, like it's like, a, a, you know, that's kind of my approach to it. And so, and, but so I, so I called my guitar teacher. And I'm like, so dude, what do I do here, man? And he's like, dude, I got you some mics. I got some mic cables. I got some speaker stands. Cause I was just like, literally leaving them on the floor like that, you know? So, and so he gives me all this stuff. I load it in the back of my mom's pickup truck, and she literally drives me. I'm 15 years old. She drives me to this pizza place, and I go set up the sound system in there. I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, it, to the extent that you know that you plug the mic cable into the mic hole and turn up the volume, that's what I was doing. But at the end of the gig, <laughs> my buddies gave me 20 bucks, and I was like, well, this is pretty cool. I just made 20 bucks doing this stuff. So then what I ended up doing was I was like, well, I, this was actually really fun. I'm going to keep doing this. So I started buying more and more sound gear, and I ended up getting to this point where I was starting to compete with the local regional sound company for festivals and shows. And, but not like in a good way, like I was just lowballing and I could do the gig, but I had like just janky gear. Like mm -hmm. it was not, you know, I was a high school kid and I was working at a guitar store selling guitars. And so I'd, all that money would just go straight to my band and my guitar rig and my PA system. And, and so I, I decided, I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? So I go to the, the owner of that sound company and I told the guy, I was like, hey man, I'll tell you what, if you hire me, I'll sell all my stuff. And he did, and he bit. So next thing I know, I'm working for this sound company and getting some really good experience doing big shows and stuff like that. Well, regional shows. I was, I'm from Utah. So, you know, as re giant, big shows as we get in Utah, right? Mm -hmm. a, little, a little town up there. Anyways, I realized that if I don't go to school and learn how to do this, I'm just going to be stuck as a regional sound guy, right? And I'll get stuck as just here in Utah and never amount to anything. So I was like, you know what I need to do is I need to work for Claire Brothers. They're this big, they're the, like the biggest sound company in the world. They have all the giant clients. I need to work for them. So I research, find out they hire from this school called Full Sail in Florida. I'm like, cool. All right. Long story short, go to Full Sail, got the degree. And I was one of four students that got hired by this sound company, Claire. So that was kind of like getting drafted into the NFL for college kind of sports going from, you know, working for whatever to the big leagues. And so when I got into Claire, um, and so just to explain what they do. So when you, when you go to a concert, the big curved speakers that you see hanging up there, the band doesn't own any of that stuff. Right. So what they do is they um, hire a sound company to bring all that stuff out, right? So you call them up and say, hey, we're going to go on a tour. We're going to hit these places. They're going to have this many people. And the sound company says, okay, if you're going to play these venues, 
Um, you're going to need this many speakers. You're going to need this many people to set it all up for you. And then they just staff it for you, right? Mm -hmm. So that was the way that it worked. It was very corporate. You go in, you start as an intern, just like a studio gig. And then they had three tiers of working your way up. And then on a concert, there's really two main sound guys. Um, the rest are just techs. And those guys are the front of house guy, who's the guy out in the middle of the room, looks like they're launching the space shuttle. That guy is controlling the sound for the, everybody in the house, right? Um, and he's called the front of house engineer. Backstage, there is another one of those. And that back there is for controlling all the guy's monitors. So like the little earpieces that you see the bands have on, on stage, they, that guy controls all the sound for that guy, that stuff, right? Two separate sound guys doing sound for the show. And so the, the way that this company was structured was you start off as an intern and then you go and you work your way up these levels. And so I was like, and I wanted to be the front house guy. I was like, that's, that's the thing, right? So what I did was I was like, all right, well, whatever it is, you know, I'm an intern in the music industry. And then rule number one is intern in the music industry is whatever you do, you do it the best, right? For example, Kiss was one of our accounts and they came back from tour and they had been using fake blood on the tour. And their entire, just all their cables, everything was just covered in this thick, ooey, gooey, like, it was like jam, like out of a jar, like mm -hmm. just, but stickier. And it was just coated in all the boxes and it was just, and it, oh, it stank and all this stuff. And so I was out there, I was like, all right, I'm going to be the best cable scrubber there is. So I wheel all the caddies out in the middle of the warehouse. Nobody else wanted to touch them. And I'm out there just like covered in this stuff with a rag, just like scrubbing away like i'm the best at this everybody look at me i'm doing the hard job i'm the best you know so then when i moved up and then i started going on tours and stuff that was always kind of my thing was just got to be the best right so then i got to uh the point where i was starting to mix monitors and they said okay if you want to mix front house you got to mix monitors first and i was like all right i'm gonna be the best monitor mixer so i started mixing monitors for all the opening acts and then eventually progressed to the point where they were putting me out as the monitor guy on tours right so i was that was when i was starting to work for nick jonas and gavin DeGraw and a bunch of these other guys so at this point i've been touring for about six years so i went out and did this nick jonas gig that was back when he was doing um the chains and jealous like his when he was just leaving the jo jonas brothers so that's when i was out there mixing him and um he when that happens, do you actually interact with the main artist or does the artist have... Oh, yeah. So when I was on tour with him, uh, like, we would travel together. We'd go through the airports together. We'd hang out. It was totally like, I mean, I went into his dressing room every day for the show and give him his pack and ears. There was a couple times we flew private. I have photos of me on the, the jet with Nick, you know, that kind of stuff. It was like, mm -hmm. so it was very, like, involved. Like, when you're, so when you're at that level you're just everywhere that the artist goes you go mm -hmm. so you you usually tend to always ride with them so it's it's very very in, you're, you're working with them all the time and the thing is is i hate doing monitors it's an awful job because everybody on stage wants it to sound completely different mm -hmm. and it's not easy and uh it's you're dealing with a lot of egos and like mm -hmm. if something's not right like if you ever watch like an artist like a video of an artist freaking out Watch the video, and usually they're yelling at a guy off the stage. They're yelling at the monitor guy. Like, nine times out of ten, that's the guy that they're yelling at, right? So I hated this job. It sucked. I get yelled at all the time. After the show, they're like, sorry about that, bro. You know, they're energized yeah. up and, you know. Yeah. I but always... anyways, and then, you know, so it's like this thing. And then I was also a crew guy. And so, you know, you're doing a lot of work as a crew guy. And I was starting to get burned out. And I was like, you know, if I'm not doing front of house, I don't really want to be doing this stuff anymore. 
so anyway, so I hit up the road manager and I say, hey, man, how about a front of house gig? And he says back to me, he's like, well, we're never going to give you a front of house gig. And, you know, I was like kind of surprised by that. I was like, well, wait, what? why not? He's like, you're too good at monitors. You've established yourself as a monitor guy. Everybody knows you as a monitor guy. And I was just like, like heartbroken. It, I, I, was like, I was like, no, my <laughs> plan <too> failed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i was i was and it and he was right like everybody knew me as a monitor guy like i was just i mean because i was just like so i didn't even think about it though i was just like whatever i'm doing i'm gonna be the best at it right and so i was like oh well, this is awful i don't want to do this and i'd been doing studio stuff before like nick's producer was out on the road with us um as the music director and um he was like hey man well why don't you come to nashville and cut a record with me and i was like hell yeah man so we went down there. I had such a good time doing it that I moved to Nashville. And before that, I was living with the Billy Joel guys because I, I toured with, I was with Billy Joel for a couple of years. Wait, so what, is, what does it mean, you living with the Billy Joel guys? So the Billy Joel guys, so they're actually like a, their production is like a family camp. The production manager has his two sons on the road, and they've also all been with Billy forever. Like, mm-hmm. um, Billy's front of house guy is actually his best friend since high school. And, like, when they first started touring, mm-hmm. it was Billy and BR is his name in the van, and that was it. Like, it was those two. And then they added their lighting. Like, and this is back in, like, the 60s, right? That's how long they've known each other. So it's like super family type. But anyway, so like I was saying, so the production manager has his two sons on the gig. And his son was also the drum tech. And he started a little record label in Michigan. And he had me come out and live with him. So whenever we were on the road, we were he was in a band and he started this record label. And so we were trying, we were doing just like really terrible bands in Michigan. And um, just lots of bad, bad just it was not good but you know in between tours we'd come home and that's what we'd do so when i you know when i decided to move to nashville that was like okay well i'm gonna go and actually do this for real it was fun working with you i mean we're i learned a lot doing that kind of stuff up there but Mm -hmm. um, i was like i I was like all right it's time to do this stuff for real so i i quit the sound company moved to nashville and it turned out that that was not an easy transition in fact it was very difficult. You know, I thought it was just going to be like this really easy thing. It's like, I already work with these big artists. I'm already in. I'll just, instead of mixing monitors, I'll just start mixing studio records. It's Mm -hmm. like, no, it doesn't work like that. Like, first of all, the record labels, they're not going to hire me, Joe Schmo monitor guy from Nick Jonas to like suddenly start mixing their records, right? They're already hiring established record mixers. And so- You're like, you um, don't understand. I'm really good at monitors. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But the stigma with monitor engineers is that they're terrible. Like most monitor engineers, everyone hates their monitor guy. Like it's just the the hardest. It's like they're just known as the worst sound guys out there. And so it's like not a selling point. It's like, oh, man, you tour with Nick Jonas. What'd you do? It's like, oh, you were a monitor mixer. It's like, (laughs) yeah, it's like I almost (laughs) dude, I was like I was almost like not worth telling people. It was like that kind of stuff. You know, anytime, anytime I've performed somewhere, I remember just. I would look. The monitors <laughs> suck. It's probably the monitors. They're awful. That's like, oh man, that's really yeah. Cool. You know, I could actually make it sound good, so you know that's why I was able to, you know, hold my own with these big artists. But still, I mean, it always sucks. It's just a, it's it, it sucks. And so, anyway, so like, but you know, the stigma. Oh, the monitor guy. Like nobody wants to hire the monitor guy, right? To mix a record. Like that's yeah. not what you want to do. That does not sound like a good idea. So I was running into that, and at the same time. 
I didn't really realize this because I was up in the upper echelon, but the industry had changed and we were really starting to get into what I'm calling the, the producer era, which is pretty much at this point, if you want to be successful in the music biz, you have to know how to produce to a certain level. Mm. Like if you're a guitar player, you need to be a guitar producer. If you're a drummer, that means you're a drum producer. You know, if you're a vocalist, you need to be able to produce vocals. And it's not hard. It's like you just get a universal audio interface for 1200 bucks. You get yourself Logic Pro for 200 bucks or whatever. And, and then you, you just learn the software. It's like all these YouTubers, it's the same kind of thing. You just buy $200 software, you buy a camera, whatever. It's like, and then you just start going. And so the thing is, though, is that when you're producing, a lot of producing is arranging and you got to play. Now, I used to be a guitar player, but by Nashville standards, I am not a guitar player. I am like, I, I can't even say I'm a hobbyist at Nashville. Like I, like I pick up the guitar and it's like, th this is funny guys, like that you guys think I should hold this, but you know, Yeah. but, uh, so anyways, to get into it. And then there was this thing that's, that's going on where like, cause I just, I just, I'm just a mixed guy. Right. And the thing is though, is a lot of these producers are learning to mix. Right. And they would rather, because it's so hard to, for artists to make money, they would rather do the mixing themselves and charge for it than give it to somebody who's better at mixing and get a better product. It's the, it's kind of this weird right. thing that happens all the time. So there's a lot of like mediocre producers doing really kind of mediocre mixes and artists are just releasing them and it's not good for anybody, but it's the thing that happens. Mm -hmm. But anyways, the, the problem is though, is artists have this, suddenly have this, uh, kind of perception that you should, if you're a producer, then you should be able to mix. A lot of producers can mix. They're not mix guys though. They're producers. I was a mix guy who had to feel like I had to produce. Anyways, it was, it was like not easy for me to just walk into the, the mixing thing because I was trying to mix and most of the producers are mixing anyways. And the only time that they're actually hiring a mix engineer is they're like, well, I'm not bad at this. If I'm going to actually hire a mix guy, we're just going to hire a really expensive mix guy, right? And so they'd go to the, the big guys again, right? And so I was still getting boxed out by these big guys. And there was a bunch of times, like, when I was coming up that that would happen. And so the thing is, though, is, like, when you're building a career like that, and this happens to everybody, it wasn't just me that dealt with this. If you're any type of gig worker, like you're a session musician, you're a producer, you're trying to break into the music industry as somebody that works for artists, the hardest part about it is that you have to do one of two things. You either work for free or you charge somebody terrible to do their stuff. And so the thing is, is then you're doing this, this stair step thing where you release one really terrible song and then you don't want to show it to anybody. So you do another terrible song and then you just try and do a less terrible song. Maybe this song will be a little less terrible and this song will be a little less terrible. And eventually you get to the point where it's like, okay, well, this one's not bad. I can actually show this one, you know, and now you feel like you have something that you can show to people, but then it's, that's still like one song. And then you still get like, it's just this really slow grind of just mm -hmm. trying to get to a point where you've actually like got like a portfolio that you want to actually show people. Mm -hmm. And that is actually something that's good. That's worth having because all that matters in the record biz is how good your last release did and how good it sounds. Like that's literally what people care about. Did, did you make a lot of numbers on the charts and does it sound good? And if you don't have anything and you don't got anything. Right? right. And this was really tough. So like, I was literally like going from like, you know, flying around like in private jets with Nick Jonas to this, like, I, 
like I had to drive Uber. I could not survive. Like I was literally driving Uber and just praying for any kind of gig that I could get to make any kind of money. Th this is how hard it is. Like I was, you know, I had some advantages. Like I knew some stuff. I'd learned the biz. But the thing is, is like there's no like easy magic go button, right? Like yeah. take me to the top now button, right? Like you, yeah. you have to just go through this really terrible like growing pains of getting there. And at the same time, I was sitting there watching these these artists, and I'm and I'm working with the artists. And the biggest problem that they all have is that streaming just pays out so poorly, and it just always seems to lag right behind any amount of profit. So for the artists that are actually making money off their streams, it's this does this thing where like because as an artist, as you grow, so do your expenses. It's not like oh hey cool we've grown to the point where we've made a lot of money. It's like no you've got grown now. That means you're gonna hire more people. It means you're gonna hire better producers. You're gonna spend more on music video. You're gonna go on tour and you're gonna need more gear on the tour. You're gonna mm -hmm. need a bigger order of you know merch. You know it's not like. Uh, you hit a certain point and it's like, oh, well, we made it. Well, I mean, you get to a certain point and yeah, you can, streaming does start making more sense. But at that point, it's usually record label land and they own your masters and the, the, the recording copyrights and you're not getting the full amount of that anyways. Mm -hmm. So it's still not really paying you a whole lot at that point. And this was just one of the things that just super frustrated me because I was there, you know, and it was a, a different thing that like being in the upper echelon and then seeing how that worked and then coming down to the, the lower level and being with these guys and being a part of like a release and actually, you know, being there when they'd upload stuff to CD Baby or TuneCore or whatever and watching them do all the things and spend the money on all this stuff and seeing how the actual reality of how like the majority of people are doing all this. It's just it's such an expensive process. And it's so like I just was like, there's got to be a way that these guys can make money because really this streaming thing it hurts everybody it's not like there's like it's just the artist right if the artist doesn't have money the artist can't pay anybody else money right the artists are the most important part they they need to make money so that the rest of the gig economy can make money and so this is where i came up with cinder track and so i was looking at the two groups i was looking at artists and i was thinking to myself i was like you need money. And then I was also like looking at guys that were in my position and I was like, and man, wouldn't it be cool if we could just like work on any artist's stuff and build our portfolio. And like, I would pay an artist to work on their music, like just so mm -hmm. that I could show another artist, like what I had done. Like, mm -hmm. it would be so cool to be like, oh man, let me buy your tracks and then I'll do what I want. And then I can go show this other artist and be like, look, I know what I'm doing. Sure. I'm a monitor guy, but look, I can actually mix. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like that kind of a thing. Like, it, like if I could do that, because that was a big part of what I was doing. I was scouring the internet for like just the skeeviest places, you know, trying to find like a, a spot that I could find something to mix and use in my portfolio because it was like, people are like, what did you do? And it's like, well, I don't even want to show you this artist that I've worked with. They were so bad. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it doesn't make me look good at all to show you that I did that, you know? And so that was really the foundation for CinderTrack. So what CinderTrack is and how this actually works is it's CinderTrack is a multi-track store. Okay. And so multi-tracks are the individual audio files that are recorded during your tracking session. So they're basically the building blocks of the track. You got the individual vocals, you got the individual instruments, you got the individual drums, you got all these pieces. And the thing is, is they're a byproduct of recording. Like you can't make a record without making these. So every artist already has them, right? If you've recorded in the studio, 
whether you have them or not, usually the artist doesn't have them. Usually they're on your producer's hard drive. And if you have a record label, the record label always gets them. But that's, yeah, I mean, that's what I thought was interesting about this because you don't, the artists don't have to make anything extra. No, exactly. And what's crazy is you can release these before the song is mixed. That's a real thing. And you're not paying extra to make these. Like you have to, like you already have them. And so, who are the buyers? So the, so the buyers are producers, session musicians, and mix engineers. And it, what you want to think about it is think of them not necessarily as these gig workers, but think of them as like a unique fan base. They're just people that are working in the music that want to be a part of your, your music. And really, the thing is, is, first of all, they just want to show you what they can do with your stuff. Like if they decide to buy your music, it's because they think you're an awesome artist. Like it's flattering. It's like wow, your stuff is super cool. I would love to play on this. I think there's something about this song that I want to be a part of. Like, that's what this is. Like, when somebody's buying your music, like, they're buying an interactive experience of being a part of your band, essentially, mm. as an artist. And so with Cindertrack, they buy these tracks, and then they build this portfolio that they can show to other artists. And a lot of the time, they'll want to show it to you, too. I mean, most of the time, I mean, the new guys, it's just going to be a bunch of awful stuff. We're not going to lie here. But... There's also, there's a chance that some of these people might be making some really cool stuff. And it's kind of competitive, too. I'm, I'm a very competitive guy, and anytime I hear a, a mix, I always just want to try and beat it. I'm like, I bet you I can do better than that guy. Give me the tracks. Come on. Let's, let's, let's put my money where my, my mouth is. Come on. Let's try it. Right? I wonder, yeah, I mean, I'm like that, too. Like, so I'm a drummer, so the first thing I hear in any song, like my, for some reason... My wife makes fun of me because I, I'm not very good with lyrics. So like, lyrics just go in one ear, out the other, and I don't even listen to them. Like, I just go straight for the drums, and I can think, okay, this person should have done this, and yeah, right. it was great. And so yeah, I completely feel like so. How much can you make from um, from all of this? Uh, yeah. So this is where this gets really crazy. First of all, I do want to just mention before we get into the numbers that you are a perfect example of somebody that would buy something on you, you buy the multi-tracks mute the drums do your own drums and then put that in your portfolio and then boom look here's me playing drums right you gotta show it off be what you want to do but here's here's where this gets really crazy so is is how much you can make off of this stuff when i was out trying to find tracks i was like happy to pay like 35 bucks per song per song for these things and so I know that that's easily what other people will do. And here's the thing. So like, this is per song, right? $20 is like a totally realistic number that people, you can make, sell these things for, mm -hmm. right? And here's where this gets really crazy. Like people in music are so used to streaming numbers that when you start hearing sales numbers and you, you realize what you can make with sales, like sales, if you only sell a thousand for $20, you just made $20,000. Which means that if you make $20,000 for 1,000 sales, you can make $100,000 for only 5,000 sales. Mm -hmm. And here's where this gets really crazy is that's only 416 sales per month. So you start thinking about that. It's like, well, that's a totally realistic target. Like mm -hmm. you only have to sell 416 songs per month on Cinetrack to make $100,000 a year. This is just selling the tracks. You're still making the money from Spotify. You're still making money from merch. You're still making money from touring. You're making money from all these other places, but you're also making $100,000 a year from Cinetrack for only 416 sales per month. 
And to give you a comparison of like the streaming, like how much you would have to make to get that same thing, for to make $100,000 a year, you'd have to get 22.7 million streams on Spotify. Thanks. Like that's where it's crazy. I mean, you start thinking like, you, I mean, that's possible. You know, and it's that, not impossible. And that's what but, makes it more doable because you see 5,000 compared to 22 million. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and even like that, like, here's the thing is like, if you, so if you look at them both monthly, right? So that means that you need 1.9 million per month to make that in a year. So that's a thing. You see artists with 1.9 million on, on mm-hmm. Spotify, but also 1.9 million is the same as only 416 sales. And here's the really crazy question is like, well, if you can get 1.9 million streams on Spotify per month, how many sales do you think you can get on center track? You know what I mean? These numbers are just where it, like, you're starting to talk about stuff where it's like, this is so crazy. Like, yeah, you can literally, like, this is not hard math. It's not like I'm trying to tell you some crazy numbers or some difficult kind of thing. It's like 416 sales a month selling your multi-tracks or a hundred thousand dollars a month. I mean, so uh, there are artists right now that could be doing that. They're on Spotify. They could be listening and right. jumping in on that, getting that extra income. Totally. There's tons of people so, that would be able to profit so from that. I guess the next thing that people would ask would be what is stopping someone from using their tracks in their music? So yeah. this is actually the number one question, right? Mm-hmm. And when I first came up with the, the concept, this was like, how do we prevent this? What's the real story here? Because this is like a, it's a, it's a real question, you know, mm-hmm. and it's every single artist that I've ever talked to about this. That's the number one thing they want to like, they hear that they're like, Oh, okay, cool. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in, well, wait a minute. How, how, what's, what's say protecting us here. Mm-hmm. So basically there's a short answer. There's a long answer and there's the realities. We'll go through all of these. The short answer is this is what we came up with. We created uh, what we're calling as our default license. And the default license basically says you own everything that is in the, the multi-track. Nobody can use that in any original work. And they can't upload anything, that, any versions, any whatever they do with it. They can't upload any of that to any other platform, including SoundCloud, YouTube, Bandcamp, Reverb Nation, none of these platforms you you mm-hmm. can't do it the only place you can show it is on your center track portfolio mm-hmm. and the center track portfolio is actually a unique thing because it's not actually browsable so if somebody creates a center track portfolio they get a, a private link it kind of looks like their own like little studio page and they can share that with an, like an artist they can text it to them or whatever and then that's the only way that somebody can see that music on their center track portfolio so it prevents people from going out and saturating YouTube with a bunch of terrible versions of your song, which is, you know, nobody wants that, right? So you you give these guys an outlet and they can go do that. And then, you know, they're not allowed to do this. And so if anything pops up, you can knock it out of the, you know, it's no problem. On top of that, we wanted to give an extra layer of protection for people. And so we have our default license, um, but we also offer a custom license. So if you have your own lawyer, and you want to make your own language and your own rules and your own stuff that's different from what we have in ours, 
you can do that too. And it's just a little spot that you can paste that in there. And then whatever your terms are, your language, whatever, you make the rules. It's your music. The one rule is, is that if you do decide to make a custom license, people can still put it on their center track portfolio page. Because fundamentally, if you take away the reason why somebody would want to buy it, then they're not going to buy it, right? If you just like block them out and say, you can buy this, but you can't do anything with it. It <laughs> kind of basically takes away what they would actually want to do, right. right? So so that's the one rule that we have in there. But, you know, ours even covers you like against YouTubers or educational people that are like, hey, I want to make videos on how to mix. I bought this track. Like they have to get your permission for that. Mm -hmm. Plug-in companies or pedal manufacturers or something that want to like demo a product, they have to get your permission. Like that's all in our license already. You're covered in our ad, but like I said, the custom license allows you to add or replace anything that you want. So you, you really have the most amount of flexibility that puts you in control of your own music through those two licenses. That's the short answer. The long answer is we start looking at the industry a little bit more. And when you say, what if somebody steals my music? Most people that ask that question, they tend to not necessarily know exactly how theft in the music industry works. The, the hip-hop industry in the 90s and early 2000s really pioneered our sample laws. Mm -hmm. And sampling laws right now are so bulletproof. It, here's the thing. is like in the pro world, and what I mean by pro is like people that are actually going to make money with your music rather than like hobbyists who, you know, are going to put stuff up or whatever. But like, like pros that are actually intending to monetize music careers, right? Mm -hmm. They know this stuff. And they know that if they put a sample in a track... Let's say that I like I'm a producer and I decide to use this sample off of Cinder Track and put it in this track that I'm producing for another artist. And well, let's say that that artist takes off. Well, then that artist gets really big, but the owner of that sample recognizes it. They sue that artist and that ends everybody's career. The artist has to lose their song. You know, I am never going to be trusted ever again mm -hmm. because that's the guy that put the sample in the song. Right. And it's so such a level of game over that the artist is going to have to pay a settlement, probably more than what they actually made on the song. And it just like copyright infringement cases, like just totally wreck people's lives and careers. Like you just don't want like it's just so bad for any that anybody who's a pro is just not going to do it. They, they don't want to take the risk because it's it's so expensive. And like when if you're actually successful with this music and it, and it actually like makes money and all this kind of stuff, I mean, you, you hear about these things that happen, you know, these giant copyright cases. It's like $2.5 million, easy, 10, 25 million sometimes. That's what people are suing each other. Mm. And, you know, if you're a pro, that's the last thing you want. You know, like yeah. any time these things come up, like people are just like, oh no, this is the worst thing ever. So here's the real kicker about this. If you really think about it, and here's the way that the, the laws actually work. So that's that's kind of like the people that would make money off of it. So let's talk more about it, go a little bit deeper into it. So the way that the laws work are you're totally protected by this stuff. There's this thing that happened early in the at the turn of the decade called the DMCA, which is the Digital Millennia Copyright Act. And in that, there's instructions on like that 
like you have to register with the DMCA on copyright.gov. And so any platform like CinderTrack, like we're on there, we had to register with them. And it's basically you're saying, hey, if anybody commits copyright infringement on our platform, you have to post detailed instructions on how to get it taken off. Mm -hmm. So if somebody actually does post something that, that it's not theirs on another platform, you just go to their DMCA page, you find it, send them an email, they get it taken off. It's that easy. And people like kind of tend to worry about TikTok because they're like, well, wait a minute. What about TikTok? It's in all these different videos. It's like it works exactly the same way. You go to the TikTok, you go to their copyright page, it says here's the instructions on how to get it removed. You send an email to TikTok. They say, okay, cool. And then boom, all those videos are gone. It's that easy. It's not like this crazy complicated thing. Now, let's talk about the actual realities of this. There are the people that are out there I'm sure you have seen this before, that are going to steal whatever they want, right? And they're, they're, these are the people that, like, if you want to steal somebody's music, they can get, steal your track super easy. Like, they just get on YouTube. You can download a piece of software that allows you to download YouTube videos. And so you just get on YouTube, you download somebody's video, and you can put it in a video editor or audio software, strip the video, strip the music. You got the music, you got the video. And so all the time it's so easy that what these dudes do is they'll take it they'll you know remove the video they'll put a terrible beat over the top of it and then they'll add like a japanese cartoon over the top right and it's just looping the whole time and you've seen these things right mm -hmm. like and people do this stuff all the time and, and they're just posting them on youtube the thing is, is this this stuff happens all the time to your actual release this is just a part of, like, record labels just deal with this all the time. It's annoying, but it's just a regular part of releasing music. Like, people are going to do this stuff, and it's obnoxious, yeah. and every time you find them, you just, that's an infringer, get them removed, and it's just a part of the thing. And so the thing is, though, is the same exact copyright laws that prevent people from doing that kind of stuff apply to your multitracks. There's no difference. It's not just because you're selling the pieces that, now there's like less protection there. Yeah. If you find anybody that's actually doing that stuff, no problem. Copyright infringement, gone, it's removed. Like it's super easy. And the people that do that kind of stuff, they're actually more likely to steal your actual release than go to Cinetrack, buy the tracks, put the stems and stuff. You know all that stuff. It's just because they're they're the lazy type. You know what I, I mean? They just want stuff. It's to... a lot more. It's harder yeah. work. Right, exactly. Like, because that also involves they have to know how to mix. You know what I mean? They just want the easy thing. They want it to sound good and be like super cool, right? I'm yeah. look at me in my rap video. So, it's a lot less likely to happen. People are more likely to steal your actual thing. And that, like I said, it's just a, it's a reality that people are going to do this to you anyways. But what it really boils down to, though, is like if this is the kind of thing that's already going to happen, and the people that are actually going to steal this stuff, the real pros and stuff like that. They're not going to do it. So that's not something you need to worry about. And honestly, if a professional artist stole one of your tracks and used it and made a whole bunch of money, man, you should actually celebrate because you're, you're the one that gets that $25 million check now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like yeah, I said, that's, that's incredibly rare, that, that incredibly unlikely that that's going to happen. Yeah. And then also, these other people are less likely to do it. And the, like like I said, the people that are going to be buying this stuff aren't artists. They're not trying to create their own product and sell it. It's like the opposite of a beat store. Mm -hmm. You know, like a beat store is like where producers sell tracks to artists so they can release them. This is artists sell multi-tracks to producers so they can show them to other artists so they can get work. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
And the thing is, is like at the end of the day, this allows you to have an actual career making music. It's not like a glamorous thing. You're not famous by making money off of center track. But at the same time, though, I mean, even if like you get like only got 200 sales a month, like that's you're making close to 50 grand a year. Suddenly, like this makes making music a realistic way that you can live. And sure, there might be these the, these cases where somebody uses your tracks in a, in something, and then you just send them an email and say, "Hey, you have to take it down," and whatever. It's mm -hmm. like it's just a part of making music, and it's the same thing that would happen with your release. It's just a thing that you're gonna have to deal with. So, when you have the ability to make fifty to a hundred thousand dollars a year from 200 to 400 sales mm -hmm. like i mean so what if you have to deal with some of this stuff occasionally yeah right and it's it's not it's like that you um it's good that you went over this because it opens up possibilities and now people are able to see the risks versus the rewards and like you were mentioning they people are going to steal they really want to but i feel like the reward is higher because most people are professionals that are going to be going in there it also gives right. you other opportunities, as you were mentioning earlier, how if you release a song to send a track and then you have someone mix it and they send it back to you, that creates that relationship where you could work together one day. So it, all these different possibilities that you get just from releasing your Yeah, totally. Like, I mean, that's a, a real thing. Like, you could you mm -hmm. could post this thing on center track and then there could be this guy that you have no idea in, you know, somewhere in the middle of Nebraska mm -hmm. who loves your stuff, totally gets your vibe, buys your track and does this mix of it and sends it to you and, you, and you're like, this is the guy. Like, this is the guy we always needed. Like, and he found you by paying you to play on your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a huge part of what I want this this platform to actually be is like, uh, you know, when you when you suddenly understand the ecosystem that it creates, it's meant to be like this really cool way to collaborate with people, find other people to play on your record. You know, it's like, I mean, you could find, like, people are going to do all kinds of stuff to your music and send you stuff that you had no idea was even, like, a possibility of, like, mm -hmm. what it is. It's just so cool. At the same time, you're making money off of it. Like, you're able to live, like, a, a real life. It's not like this is, like, some fictional amount of money. You don't even need a lot of sales to, like, live comfortably mm -hmm. with this stuff. And it just frees up your money to be able to do, like, it gives yeah. you the lifestyle to create music indefinitely right i just thought of this there are actually several record labels that i know certain djs like big well-known djs through their label they'll send out competitions and they give out you know like the seed files and all those things and they do competitions and they say hey if you want you can enter the competition and the winner is going to be the official remix of this song and they're going to be on my Spotify list or whatever, but there's no really payment from it. It's just like, hey, so putting your name what out I there. love about what you're saying, so I'm over here grinning, for those of you that can't see me, because what <laughs> you're saying is you're literally talking about the next features that we're going to have come out, because that's going to be something that we're, we want to have competitions and stuff on there, mm -hmm. you know, and that inside, it, it excites people to, you know, actually buy right. stuff like i mean well, even if you're just trying to find a mixer or a producer or whatever host a competition like let's say you, you know it's like normally you'd have to pay a mixer 250 to you know 600 bucks way more if you're going to go super pro mm -hmm. um to mix your song it's like or why don't you just host a mix competition on center track mm -hmm. and then you know there you go 
hire whoever was the winner, right? And so you have these incentives. And but the thing is, is people have to buy the song and mix it, so you're getting sales right. before you've even released your song. Right, you're and getting sales. Was, yeah, and that's where I was going because these labels they do these competitions. You're not. I mean, you get the exposure to millions of people who are fans of that artist. But in here, you're actually getting paid before, you know, by the people that are mixing. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, adding that extra competition and all those things, that'd be really cool for each artist to say, hey, here's a song, whoever can do it the best, but then <laughs> they have to pay to enter. So then yeah. it ends up, you know, you could win twice if you wanted to you monetarily, but also find a great music partner. Right. Um, exactly. So how much does it all cost? Are there certain costs that? Yeah. So, so the way that this, this thing works. And so my whole thing is I think that I, so, you know, starting businesses and all this stuff, the thing that just drives me up a wall is I hate subscriptions. I am so over like, oh, it's only X number of dollars a month. It is just the worst, right? <laughs> and so my whole thing with CinderTrack is we don't make money unless you make money, right? So there's like, there's no subscriptions. We just take a 20% sales fee, right? Now we do charge a subscription after five songs. And the reason for that is, is uh, multi-tracks are just really big files. And so we have to pay server hosting. And so after five songs, it starts eating into us a lot. And we're only taking 20% of, we're not getting a huge amount of money out of this thing, right? It's so five songs per month or five songs? For five songs. So you're, so you, five songs for free. So like your first five songs, doesn't matter. As long as you don't add more than five songs to the platform, mm -hmm. you, it's free. So, and we do that because we also want people to add their best songs one of the things that people were worried about is that people are a little bit sketchy of it. And then they're like, well, let's just put our B-sides on there. And then problem is then if Cindertrack only has a bunch of B-sides on it, nobody's going to want to buy stuff. You know right. what I mean? People want to buy your hits. They want to buy your best music. So this is a way that like, hey, just upload your best five songs and it's free. And we're also doing that too because we're actually in a pre-launch phase right now. Um, so we just finished coding and we're actually building our catalog of our very first artists. So we're not actually advertising to buyers yet. What we're doing is we're trying, we're waiting until we're getting, we have a hundred artists goal, right? So once we get a hundred artists on the platform, we're going to do a coordinated launch where everybody on the same day within the same month. Everybody gets on their social media accounts. They get on their everything and say, hey, go to CinderTrack. So then we're also going to launch a big, huge paid ad campaign through that time too. But it's going to be a big team effort where not only is it just us using our resources with a paid thing, you have the other 99 artists that are on there as well that are all asked, like blasting everybody. And so it's going to be this really big, awesome launch that's going to get a whole so like when it kicks in it's going to really kick in mm -hmm. but the thing that we're we're doing right now is is we got to get 100 artists on there because the thing is is what we don't want to happen is to start advertising to buyers people start coming to the the platform and then there's like, it's like one person no songs on here like what i don't want to you know and then they'll just never come back you know what i mean mm -hmm. so so that's you know that's that's our our thing if we can get hit the 100 artist goal and this is this is every genre right so and whatever you do whatever kind of artist you are the way that our genres work is it's all like instagram tags so uh 
the so you can really niche down on like your specific genre and so you know it gives you the ability to um like if somebody knows that they want to find a very specific type of music and you just keep adding genre tags to your songs you can be the top result for a you know a much smaller group so and especially with the fact that this is like the beginning of the platform mm -hmm. you're gonna everyone is gonna see your stuff right you're not gonna get buried like like now if you create any kind of social media account or anything it's like very you know your stuff's not being organically shown to a lot of new users, right? right? So, but with CinderTrack, hey, sky's the limit right now. Niche down, you can really, you know, whatever your music is, there's mm -hmm. a spot for it, and you can be that band that pops up whenever somebody looks for it, you know? Yeah, it's, it's so whatever you, your, your tracks are, whatever, that kind of stuff, we'll get you helped out. And then here's the other thing. So we also, the way that it works, it's a multi-vendor marketplace. And what I mean by that is that it's not us that's selling stuff. It's actually you. So your store is you. You set your own prices. You are in charge. It's the, the transaction actually occurs between you and the buyer. It's like selling something on eBay or selling something on, um, or one of these, like an, a platform was, like Reverb. I was about to say, yeah. Yeah, so it's like something like that where you're actually selling, you're the seller. So we're just the middleman that's, you know, the platform that allows you to do it. And that's it's really interesting because it, for, you know, like musicpreneurs, that helps you, you know, market your own songs the way you want to market them to people so that you can make money. But also right. you're providing that platform where even if you don't do anything, people could find you. Yeah, exactly. It you and it's also one of these really cool things like, yeah, and you get to set your own prices, you know, so you're not like held like you don't have the 99 cent price gun held to your head by Apple Music and Amazon. You know, mm -hmm. that that drives me up a wall. Like why? A good songs should be more expensive than bad songs. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. You know what I, mean? I was about to I was about to say, like if you see that your you know, certain songs are hitting, there's a demand. Jack the price it. up. So yeah. Yeah, increase the price. You know, you get the metrics, you get to play with that kind of stuff mm -hmm. on Cinetrack. It's really cool. And then on top of that, we do instant payouts. No more of this music distributor crap where it's like you get paid once a quarter. Like that's no, like you, it's your product. You like, we use Stripe. And so uh, Stripe allows us to instantly process the transaction. Uh, the, our, our fee comes out at the, the, the point of sale hmm. and you get money directly deposited in your Stripe account, same day, boom, no problem. And also, we also pay the Stripe fee. So there's not an additional processing fee. Like if you sell something on Reverb Nation or eBay and you use PayPal, you get that sneaky little 3% thing that, PayPal gets you with. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? You don't have that on CinderTrack. We pay that. Like, it, it exists. Stripe charges us that little fee. But you don't have to pay it. So if you want to know exactly how much you're going to make, you, we just take 20%. So you just times whatever you're pricing your songs at by 0.8, and that's what you're going to make. Mm -hmm. And like I said, if you want to make more, increase your price. If you need more money, then raise your prices. You know, if you're not making a lot of sales, drop your prices, you know? I mean, it's getting me pumped up because then you can also think, okay, if I'm making, I don't know, I feel like it's giving more opportunities for the artists. They have money coming in. Okay, how can I make more money? Yeah, either price, yeah. or add new songs that you could be working on. And 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't, and we don't charge any other, other, there's no like upload fees or any additional stuff like that. Like that's, that's another thing that I just think is like, I think the platform should be a hundred percent free to get on and and try and use. And you should only pay if you're making money. That's Mm -hmm. like, that's my whole thing. Like, and also it's instant changes. Like, man, the other thing that drives me up a wall is you release a song on any of the music distributors. And like, let's say you spell a song or you put an apostrophe in the wrong spot. It's like, Oh, cool. In a month from now, we'll be able to get this taken care of. You know, that's just the worst, Yeah. you know, but ours, you just instantly change it. And on top of that, we also give anybody who signs up a dedicated account rep. So you're not just you know, you, you sign up for the music distributors and it's like you just log in and you're like kind of guess what you're doing and it's like, all right, well, I guess I'll do this. Mm-hmm. No, it's like well, us, we're there. Like we'll answer questions for you. We'll h- help you upload. In fact, one of the things that we do, because most artists don't actually have their multi-tracks. They, they, like I said, they usually live on the, the computer of their producer or their record label if they have one. So we will actually go get your multi-tracks for you. And we'll even upload them for you. Like, and we'll, like if you want to, we'll even, like, it, I mean, if you forget your password and don't want to log in and you want to update your bio, just, you can send us an email. We'll do it. Like, I mean, I don't know how long that'll last. But for right now, whatever whatever you want, we got Secure. account reps that are going to do this stuff for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Our whole thing is we want you to succeed. So however we can help you succeed right now. You know, we'll help you make sure you're like, we'll open up your multi-tracks, make sure you're uploading them right, make sure that everything you have, everything that you're supposed to. That's a good point because, so if you look at it, I guess as a, you know, I like investments and things like that. And so if you look at it as certain mutual funds, you know, you end up paying a fee before they even make you money. Mm -hmm. And so of course that's how they get really wealthy, but you want to find someone who, you know, it's a win-win for both parties. And right. like you're saying, like you're working hard. Cindertrack has to work hard because they only get paid if if you get paid money. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, it's it's a good incentive. It's a it's a team effort, you know. And actually, our platform's backwards from you know any of the other ones where we make less than you do, by eighty <laughs> percent. You know, so in fact, you're talking about um, investments and all that kind of stuff. So for people that are interested in this. So we actually also have a affiliate program. What we're doing right now to help encourage people to sign up artists is we actually will pay anybody who signs up an artist to sell their music on our platform. We will pay you 5% of that artist's gross sales out of our own pocket. It doesn't come out of the artist. They don't, it doesn't affect them at all. So if they sell a track for 20 bucks, then you're going to get a dollar off of that sale just because you signed them up. And so that gets really crazy, you know, because if you start stacking up artists, let's say that you're a producer or you're a manager or you're somebody that works with a bunch of artists or like you're a recording studio and you have a bunch of artists that you are signing up on center track. And this is really beneficial, especially for artists or producers that have the tracks and they need to do the work to actually package them and send them to us and get them uploaded. We'll pay you 5%, you know? And so if you get like, you know, like let's say that even if you make, uh, you get like your one of your artists only makes 100 sales a month, right? 5% of their gross sales are making their, for 20 bucks, you're making a dollar off that. So you're making a hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. passive income, just doing nothing just because you got them to sign up. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, let's say that you sign up 10 artists. Each one of them's making a hundred sales a month. Well, suddenly you're making a thousand dollars a month just because you signed up 10 artists. And as long as you keep signing up more artists, that number keeps going up. And here's the thing as center track grows, those artists are going to get more sales. You know, and this is artists that are only making 100 sales a month. What if you get an artist that's really good? What if you get an artist that makes 1,000 sales a month? 
suddenly you can have like this super awesome passive income coming in just because you signed up artists to sell their music on our platform. There's this problem with the music industry where nobody's making money and we want to fix that. People should be making money and living awesome, fulfilled, sustainable careers and it, it, this shouldn't be like a challenging thing. And, you know, Cinetrack really does that. It gives you a community, a way to make money. And it allows like this thing to become like a real thing. And like it's, it's even better for people that aren't like even unknown because it, a superstar artist, if you buy those tracks and try and use them in your portfolio, it's like, well, yeah, I didn't actually mix this Ariana Grande song. But you could totally, you know, show something that you, you know, a, a small artist that nobody's heard of. It's one of these things, like, it's just such a cool way to make money and have an actual lifestyle doing this stuff. Yeah, you know? that's one of the things that has probably with many people that are listening, where you think of musicians, we've had a few guests where they, you know, their families or friends are like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's a nice hobby. Hopefully you'll grow out of it soon and <laughs> then you'll go into your real career. Um, right. And this... You know, I feel like there's always going to be room for music, even in, you know, it's used everywhere. People listen to it, but it's not appreciated. And seeing yeah. for the value that it has, you know, as other things. And so I feel like this would be a good opportunity for people to, yeah, I mean, make a living from it and yeah. from something they love doing and also give the opportunity for other people to be able to, you know, use their gifts, create that community, like you were saying. Yeah. It's a, it's a real cool thing. And I'm really hoping that people actually take this and run with it and start record labels. Or I mean, there's people out there that are producers that know how to do this stuff mm-hmm. that you could literally go, you, you find songwriters who write awesome songs, you find an artist, and you could literally become your own record label doing this. Just find like, oh, this, is, this, this girl wrote a really good song. Mm-hmm. This guy has a really good voice. Well, I know that I'm going to make money, so let's book him at a really nice studio that we can show off to like, these guys that want to use this super awesome recordings of stuff in their portfolio, let's go do that. And so you, you literally, I mean, that's honestly one of the things that I wanted to do with it. Like it's this, mm-hmm. I created center track as a, I'm going to do that. Like I'm going to start a record label that literally just is sells music for people to buy and play with on center track. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tool that I'm going to use myself. There's so many possibilities for it. You know? So speaking about that, what kind of tracks can people upload? Do you just, can people just sing their songs, just vocals? Or are you looking for more of like a whole song? Yeah, so different? what we prefer is full songs. Because if they're not like a full song, they're basically a sample pack. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so you want a full song. And then on top of that, uh, what we recommend doing is uh, a couple different products. And they appeal to different buyers, right? So you have the multi-tracks, which are the raw tracks. And when I say raw, what I mean is like raw enough that you'd send them to a mix guy. Like they're edited. Like it's not like you have all the bad takes in there. You know, it's like you've gone through like and you've comped. So you know, you like the performance. It might not be tuned because that's a thing that you can kind of think about when it comes to tuning is like I would include a tuned version and an untuned version because they appeal to different people, right? So Mm. like a, a session musician... They won't want to tune the vocal, but somebody who's aspiring producer who wants to practice tuning vocals, they'll want to do it. So you put both of them in there, and then, you know, they appeal to different people, right? So I'd say for what you'd want to sell is your multi-tracks, which are just all the individual recordings, all edited, 
is what I recommend. You know, it's not like, I mean, you could even if you want to, though, you could put folders of takes. I mean, because the file that you're actually selling is just a zip file, right? So it's, it's whatever you want to put in the zip file is what you can sell. Um, the one thing that we don't allow is we don't allow DAW sessions because if I put a Pro Tools session in there and I've done everything on Pro Tools, but you use Logic or Ableton or some other software, you couldn't open that. And the audio files folder is not organized in a way that you could import them. So that's the one rule that we have is you can't do sessions like that. But as long as you export the tracks, basically you have to export them so that they're all the same length and they all have the same start point so that when they you import them and you hit play, it plays them all in sync together. Mm -hmm. So that's the only rule that we, we there, have. But Is there a minimum of how many instruments, how many tracks? Um, the one thing that we request and there's not really a minimum because there's some people that like you know if you record like on a 16 track tape machine that's a really cool thing that you can advertise that hey this was recorded on 16 tracks but it's only 16 tracks like so there's that shouldn't be like you shouldn't get penalized you should be able to choose however many tracks you want you know if you want to if your productions are 120 like some people are put 120 in there but we do want it to be we prefer like uh songs that have lyrics and melody can so it be it's, like it's, a piano player just singing or does it? I mean, you to... could. Yeah. No. See, and so this is the thing that we're actually toying with also is like if you're like a songwriter and artist, right? Mm -hmm. And you have just like a solo performance and it's just mm -hmm. you and playing piano. Who's going to buy that? Not the mix guys. Mix guys aren't going to want to mix a piano and vocal. But I guarantee you that producers who want to build a right. track that's around what I was it. Thinking about. Mm -hmm. That's exactly. Yeah. And that's a cool thing for you as a, you know, like a, and so we're actually, depending on what people end up actually uploading to the platform, that's a, that exactly what you just said there, like a solo acoustic guitar player, singer kind of thing, or a solo okay. piano player, singer kind of thing. Um, we've thought about that. And if that really becomes a, I mean, that could be, I mean, we're really curious about what people decide to do on the platform. And if that becomes a thing, we'll create a full category just for that. Mm -hmm. So our approach to it right now is we want to, we want people to get on there and use it and try stuff out and tell us what you want, because we can code, like it's customly coded. So whatever you want, whatever the, the, the community wants is what we'll code. So I was saying, we do have a couple of things that we're going to do. Obviously, the mixed competitions are coming, but we need to launch first before that happens. But mm -hmm. then, at, you know, at that point, we once we really hit the 100 artist mark and we start getting a bunch of people on here, we start start seeing what how people like to use the platform. Mm -hmm. And we'll cater to whatever the, the users want, mm -hmm. you know, like whatever makes the thing really cool for you. You know, we're, we're thinking about, we're, we're deciding whether we should link the portfolio to the actual songs like stuff like that like right now it doesn't you know the the portfolios are a hidden page but you know if everybody says no it'd be really cool to be able to go when you go to a look at the song you can listen to everybody's versions of it mm -hmm. you know and the, art, the artists are into that then we'll code that in there you know it's it's but yeah. so we kind of have these ideas but we also like this is this is a really cool thing because we're we're a startup and we're at this point where we can do whatever our users want to do like and we want this to be like a thing like you can reach out to us and be a part of this community and and team and make this really cool kind of thing so you know but to get back to what we were talking about with tracks yeah so there's not necessarily like a minimum i would prefer not to have a bunch of uh instrumentals just because instrumentals could be misconstrued as beats and where you get into weird licensing issues is if somebody was to write lyrics and sing over the top of an instrumental, then 
you can get into weirdness with copyright composition stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of, uh, I'd rather not go down that route, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that's, that's, so what I'm preferring is that, you know, and also the same kind of uh, for this on the same token, um, we would prefer not to have covers just because we don't want to have to, the, and here's why is basically selling multi-tracks is a new thing. And so the way that you pay out publishing royalties to publishers hasn't been established yet. Mm -hmm. um, there's not like a standard, like, for example, like if you cover a song right now and you're an artist and you just cover any song, you can release that song and you get what's called a, a compulsory license, which means that you can, you can make your own version of that song as long as you pay out royalties to the songwriters of the composition. So there's standards for records, there's, but there's not standards for multi-tracks. Mm -hmm. And so what we recommend is if like you have a separate publishers that you want to pay, we recommend using the same 9.1 cents per track in the multi-track, which actually is pretty reasonable. Like if you're selling the track for 25 bucks um, and you have 60 tracks in it, which is a pretty standard number for multi-tracks, you know, average, that roughly comes to, I can't do, I can't remember the math in the top of my head, but one of you out there with a calculator, it's just 9.1 cents times the number of, of tracks. Mm -hmm. So 9.1 times 60, whatever that is, I think it comes to like $5 and 50 something cents. Something like mm -hmm. But anyways, th that's what you would pay to the songwriters. And if you're a songwriter, that means you'd get $5 and something cents per sale just because that's the deal. But the thing is, is that would have to be an actual agreement between... Right the record company, record label, and whether you're an artist. So just for people that are confused about this, I'll make this really simple. So there's there's um, two halves of the music industry, and it's because there's two halves of a song, right? And there's the composition, which is the lyric and the melody, and that's the songwriters and publishers. And then there's the actual recording of that song, which is different than the actual, because the song can exist without being recorded, right? Like you can just start singing a song and that's called performing it, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can just perform a song and it doesn't have to be recorded, and that's why a composition is separate from an actual recording, which is the record version of it. So record labels make records of uh, compositions and those are called recording copyrights. So anyways, so essentially what you're doing is the record labels have to pay the publishers. Now, if you are small and you're, you, you can actually, you know, hit up the publishers and like directly deal with them. I mean, the big labels and big publishers can do this too, but there's a lot more moving parts and a lot more, you know, it gets trickier. You can have like a really simple agreement. Like if this, the songwriters are also the artists, right? Like if you're in a band or if the songwriter is one other person, and you know each other, you can just quickly sit down and say, hey, this is how much we're going to pay each other off of this. I mean, it's just agreements. Like, it's not like you have to get super complicated about this. But, you know, we recommend 9.1 cents to do a thing. And that's also another feature we're considering implementing is just having that publishing money just automatically taken out by song trust or uh harry fox the same way that if you and this is for publishers and i know i'm getting a little advanced for people on this but if you're if you're a record label right now um or an artist uh you don't like 
Harry Fox and Song Trust because they come and audit you and say, how many sales did you get? You need to pay your publishers. <laughs> and so um, so they automatically collect it from record labels all the time. So, But if you're a songwriter or a publisher, you pay for a, a, a Song Trust or a, um, a Harry Fox account, and that's how you get your mechanical royalties. So what we're considering is just having our system integrated with Harry Fox or Song Trust, probably both of them, so that if you're a publisher you're able to automatically get the royalties from that. But it gets tricky because some people are already, it, it, that's, we're going to see if we, how long it right. takes it. We're going to have to, we're going to have to cross this bridge eventually, but that's, you know, it, until we we're actually launched and we're, you know, people, that's a thing that people are asking for. Mm -hmm. We're right now, we're just making it pretty much, you know, if you, if, you're going to pay it. You should just make your own deals with your songwriters, right. you know? And that could be kind of like you were saying earlier, that could be in the, the contract that they come up with on the road. Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be complicated, honestly. Like this mm -hmm. is, you know, the cool thing is, is that there's no laws that govern it. Right. Like, mm -hmm. so for like a composite, like a, a compulsory license, that's a actual like copyright law. Like you have to do it. It's not like a, you have an option to do it, but, for multi-tracks, I mean, technically you should owe them and it's going to have to probably, the reason why we came up with saying paying 9.1 cent per track is just because it already falls in line with the compulsory license. It just makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's not like it, you know, and it's not an exorbitant amount of money that the publisher is getting paid. And since the record company or the artist, whoever is selling the multi-tracks gets to choose the price of the multi-tracks anyways, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. You know, if you want more money, then charge more for it. And we have some other like suggestions, like you know, the it doesn't matter whether a track is mono or stereo because it's nine point one cents right now for a stereo track, and mm -hmm. and then also it should the the record label artist should be able to choose how many multi tracks and it you know like a publisher shouldn't be able to right. say like oh you need to sell more than in this you know yeah. no it's however many they want to sell you know that kind of stuff but you know and we have like a little we'll probably gonna put it up on our platform of like a little sample like agreement for people that are interested in that kind of stuff. And if you want, I mean, we'll email it to you. Like we have the, the boilerplate for it right now. Mm -hmm. But again, it's one of these things that like, we want people to talk to us about the problems that they're running into. So if this becomes an issue, right. which it's going to come become an issue at some point, we want to work with our users to say, okay, well, what would be the best way for you to us right. to solve this? Rather than us just trying to arbitrarily being like, well, let's put this Band-Aid on it, you know? Right. But for right now, it can really be like a, you know, if you want to have a deal with the songwriters and the artists, then just make a little agreement with yourself. You know, it yeah. doesn't, I mean, and, and I always say that you always should have a lawyer look at anything, but also if you're making really simple agreements, it, it's a smart thing to do because they'll tell you smart things to do. Like you should have a time that it starts and then does it go, when does it end? You know, mm -hmm. stuff like you wouldn't have not necessarily thought to put that in there, but you know, lawyers, are, they'll recommend good stuff for you. So, but, yeah. you know, but if you, but I'm not saying that you have to like spend a whole bunch of money to to right. do lawyers and all that stuff when it's when it could just be like a little hey hey how much do you want me to pay you for this you know what i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> so with with all of that that we've talked about what is something that you you've come across that you didn't expect as you've been working on cinder track oh man there's so many things <laughs> oh that i did not expect man just starting a business like this has been, there's so many little things that you're like, oh, we got to solve this problem. And oh, we got to solve this problem. And oh, we got to solve this problem. And I think really it's just 
the things that I didn't expect are how many little things I didn't know that I was going to not expect. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> it seems like there's always... unexpected. Yeah, like, I, I, I think it's like pretty much every day there's a new thing where we're like, ah, oh, you know, and... I mean, even just like on the platform, when we started coding this, this is the first time that I've ever worked with like actual developers and coders. And I think, I feel like now that I've worked with these guys, I feel like more what it, I feel like I understand what it feels to be an artist working with a producer or an engineer. <laughs> you know, like somebody that like, you need them to understand your vision, but they don't do it the way, like. It's like I, a monitor like, guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like a monitor like, guy. I just yeah. need a little more drums. Uh, yeah, more yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that's probably I think the thing that working with the developers has been probably the uh, there's there's been more learning curves with that about how to be productive because there there's just a lot of I mean that that's probably the something that I didn't expect was how to work with developers and coding and stuff. But the cool thing is. We got them now. So, like, yeah. if you guys want some features, you hit me up, and we'll make them happen. <laughs> and what are some yeah. things that you've enjoyed the most out of this whole process? Okay, so the, the the coolest part for me was the first day that the programmers showed it to me. Mm -hmm. And I got a like, lo like, log in and build an account and create. And, like, I was like, oh, my God, this is a store. It's a real thing. Like, this yeah. is, like, you know, that was the coolest day. I'm pretty sure the next coolest day will be the day that I actually make money off of this thing, mm. you know, because right now it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a big old money pit, but <laughs> that'll be a fun day too, you know, the day that there's like an actual dollar instead of a big old negative red dollar that's, yeah. you know. That's crazy. This has been really, really fun. Just learning about not just, you know, Cinder Track, but also seeing all the possibilities of the industry and things that, you know, it's going to be changing a lot of things for people and it's going to give people opportunity to make money from it and uh, not have to hide from their parents or their friends at the next reunion. So it's been really fun. One of the things I like to also do is do a mixer lightning round questions where we just, just like a back and forth, back and forth. Just me asking you questions to get to know you a little better. All right. Come uh, at me, bro. It's all right. So what was your first car? Uh, Nissan Pathfinder. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you name it? Uh, I did not, but I'll tell you, I loaded it up with so much gear that, I mean, I'll tell you, that, that <laughs> I had lighting trusses like... through the middle of it. I had all <laughs> kinds of stuff, man. Just <laughs> I, There was once I, one time I had a lighting truss that went all the way from the like the back of the thing. It was sticking out the back, and it was across like the center section. And I stopped, and it slammed into the front of the car, like it, just like uh, you know, so big old gash in it from you know lighting truss and stuff. You know, first car <laughs> kind of stuff. I, yeah, I didn't think that, I didn't think about that when you said you uh, you geared it up. Oh yeah, man. Big um, old, I was roadie life, bro. <laughs> What is an instrument that you wish you could play? All of them. All of them. Nice. <laughs> no, I. 
I, I wish I could play them all better. I mean, I, I, you know, the I actually recently started picking up piano and started uh, dabbling in that, and I was actually like learning to. So I, I was in orchestra all through high school, and I, I was actually not a bad guitar. Like I said, that I was by Nashville standards, I'm pretty terrible, but I, I can play. Like I'm not super, you know. By Utah standards. By right. Utah standards, I am legit, yeah. like legitimately okay. Like. All right, that guy is okay. Yeah. I'm not good, but he's okay. Yeah, he's the best okay guy we have. Yeah, pretty pretty okay. Yeah. yeah. That's what I am. So, what but no, I'd love like? to get better at piano. That's one of the things that just cuz when you know how to play the piano, it's like you you open up you know, producing so much more. There's just a right. million it's, things you can do. What did you play in orchestra? I play the upright bass, which is the worst for learning piano because I, I can read the bass clef perfectly. Yeah. I cannot. The, every time I read the treble clef, I'm like, I am, I it like, you know, that this little. I have this little program that like teaches you piano and it shows you the clefs and it will show me the treble clef and I every time I think it's the bass clef. I, I, it's yeah, super frustrating. It was the worst for trying to learn piano. That it's and it's really funny though. So I so I grew up playing drums. And then in uh -huh. middle school, I started to play trumpet um, because, well, I mean, I had just, so I, I grew up in Peru. So when I moved here, I didn't know much English. And so, and so in Peru, you, you call drums like battery, like bateria. And uh -huh. so that's, I remember just going in thinking, okay, that's what I'm going to look for. I don't know the other instruments. I'm just going to go for battery. And I remember they were calling out different instruments. I was like, okay, no, nothing. Okay, I don't hear it. I heard percussion. I thought that was like an like orchestra. So I was like, no, not that one. Okay. It's like, well, I guess they don't offer it here. Uh, second option, trumpet. So I remember my first day in band class showing up and seeing like drums and being really disappointed. I was like, what? Why didn't they tell me they had battery here? But anyway, so I grew up. I played trumpet from sixth grade to twelfth grade, and yeah, treble clef, easy. Like I can read that, and I wish. So I was also in jazz band, and I mean I was not that good at improvising because I didn't understand like music theory. And they would try to teach us, and it just didn't make sense because you have three three buttons to press on the trumpet. But on right. piano, well, also, like don't saying, you have the weird the, the the like brass instruments? Don't you have the weird thing where it's like you're like not slide? the is that what it's called? Like with the you're like it's the like you're in the key of E flat. You're not in the key of C or something like that. Con you're not in concert C. Like the notes are different for like like an E flat is like a I can't remember. I remember the oh, band yeah, guys yeah, trying yeah. to. So I, actually, ours was I think in C. But the thing is that. Yeah, I mean, I started, I've been learning how to play piano, but I feel like music theory makes so much more sense when you're on a piano, because you can actually see the notes, you know, like semitones yeah. and all that stuff. And yeah, no, I, I feel yeah. like I that was all. that learning piano is really when the Nashville number system started making sense to me, because, you know, around here, mm -hmm. all the session guys just talking, um, you know, diatonic numbers. Mm -hmm. And that was when, like, playing guitar, I just knew shapes. I was like, yeah, you'd make a this shape <laughs> it's like a phoebe from friends <laughs> I, I i know the character i don't know that this if there's a scene was, where she talks about guitar yeah she was teaching joey how to play guitar and she didn't know any of the names she's like this one is called the i forgot what she called it like the hawk or the 
<laughs> just the, yeah. the shape of her hands. Shapes, yeah. So what is a superpower you wish you had? I'm going to go with mind control. Oh, so I could, dang, that's a new one. I, yeah. I haven't heard that mind one. Mind control, that would be a good one, right? <laughs> I could control all of you guys to make you go sign up for Cinder Track. Yeah, give me your, <laughs> your money. If you could have um, a song play every time you entered a room, what would it be? Oh man, uh, sad but uh, is it sad but true by Metallica? Uh, it's the like it's on the Black Album's track. I don't know if that's the name of the song. Anyways, it's the like this the it's the best song for lifting weights ever. <laughs> but this song, like when it kicks in, the best part is that they got a freaking egg shaker going. Like it's just like the sassiest egg shaker that you'll ever hear ever in a track over like this like super heavy like guitar metal stuff and you're like yes egg shaker i'm telling you the, the the egg shaker really ties the whole groove together go listen to that song <laughs> sad but true by metallica the egg shaker that's the whole groove and you'll be like yes the egg shaker man <laughs> could you think of one thing to describe your band um egg shaker yeah that's yeah it's the yeah. first thing that comes to your mind when you think metallica <laughs> I mean, now it's going to be the first thing people think of when I think of you. They're like the sassy egg shaker. Yep, that's the big. sassy egg shaker. That's that's his nickname. Hey man, I'll tell um, you. what is a secret talent that you have? A secret talent. I'm really good at having fun playing golf, even though I'm bad at it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with that one. Do people know you're bad at golf before they ask you? Uh the thing is, is like, so anytime. I, I get this a lot, mainly because I'm a business guy and I hang out with a lot of, like, just guys like that. When mm -hmm. I say I play golf, like, those guys really play golf. You know what I mean? <laughs> By Nashville like, standards, they're really good at golf. By Nashville standards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am a double bogey golfer. Nice. Uh, you know. And it's really, and it's not that I can't get there. It's that I am captain three putt. Like I'm gonna have to putt. <laughs> I'm gonna chase that ball around the green probably four or five times, you know. And it's I'll be like literally like about to birdie a hole and then get like seven or eight strokes on it just because I can't putt it, the damn thing into the hole. But yeah. Uh, so, but like I said, something I'm really good at and having a good time, even though I'm real bad at it. What is uh, the best piece of advice? you've ever received don't stop trying don't give up you can't you can't fail if you don't quit mm. i mean well you can fail but you that's how you get like don't stop like right. you can't you, you can't give up don't give up even when yes. it's you know that that right there that's kind of like my mantra every mm -hmm. time i have like a bad day with center track because starting a business is a yeah. Under the hood, it's pretty like, ugh. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. <laughs> and that's, you know, you, you just got to just make today try and do better than it was yesterday. That's all mm -hmm. you got. You just got to, one, you, don't stop. You can't give up. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. One of my friends, he would say, success is inevitable. The only variable is the time. Like, it's going to happen. Yeah, just, and the effort. Yeah. You, I mean, the, the, you got to, the effort. That's the key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it hurts, but you know, you got to keep, you got to do another rep, do yeah. another rep, do another rep. Yeah. And uh, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever received? Be a monitor guy. <laughs> <laughs> that was literally the worst advice ever. <laughs> hey, you want to be a front of house guy? You should mix monitors and you should also be really good at it. Go be a monitor guy. 
Yeah. No, that was literally the worst advice I ever got ever. Learn to, <laughs> learn how to do monitor. You should, you know what would be great for you is if you learn how to mix monitors. Great. Thank People you. People are going to love you. People are, yeah, that was the problem is they did. <laughs> uh, hey, that's, that's a good advice. So people out there, anyone listening? Don't mix monitors. Don't mix monitors. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Ben. Well, glad to have you and to talk about all these things. And um, one last thing I want to ask is uh, how can I be praying for you? Um, <clears throat> you know, I would say uh, for that one, I would pray that this thing works out because if this thing really becomes what I intend it to be, it's going to change a lot of people's lives. And I really, that's something that I think is, yeah. you know, deserves, because it's so much bigger than me, like mm -hmm. the what this can bring to everybody that becomes a part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. if you're going to pray for something, I think that's a thing that you can be worth praying for. Change lots of lives, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll pray real quick, and then I'll, I'll let you go. Uh, Jiro, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to Ben. Thank you for his friendship. And I pray that you just give him the clarity, the guidance that he needs to uh, take Cinder Track to the next level and be able to help out as many people as he can. Um, I pray that you bless him and uh, be with him. And thank you for this time that we've gotten to share together. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Amen, man. Well, Ben, if someone wanted to reach out and, you know, check out all CinderTrack has to offer. Where could they go? CinderTrack.com. It's uh, you, you can go and uh, when you get there, there's a little video that explains the concept. Uh, you can uh, there's a link to start selling if you want to be an artist. Um, and if you sign up to sell, um, we'll get a notification and we will uh, just instantly reach out to you and get you set up and make sure that you're you know do everything that we can to make sure that you can make money on the platform. And uh, if you are interested in the affiliate program and you uh, know artists that you would like to get on the platform, um, you can email us at accounts at cindertrack.com. Uh, just say that, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm, I'm looking to get my artist on your platform. I'd like to be an affiliate. And we'll send you over the affiliate contract and get, your, uh, get you all set up for that. And really, like, if, if you want to reach out, to, uh, you should follow us on Instagram. That's our most uh, popular social media platform. Um, and right now, we're pl primarily talking about how the artists can make money and the, the best ways to do things and explaining the concept where our content is specifically ge geared towards making sure that uh, you guys can be the most profitable and have the best amount of knowledge going into this thing and um, clarifying stuff and you know, we'll also talk about, you know, keep everybody updated on our launch schedule through social media and all that stuff. But again, if there's, uh, we're working on it right now, there might be a form on the, depending on when you, you listen to this podcast, mm -hmm. there might be a form for you to sign up to get more information on our website. Uh, definitely do that. I know that we're going to have some free guides to not just selling multi-tracks, but best, better ways to do uh, business, ways to set up, you know, uh, have deals with your artists, ways to... Uh, you know, do deals with your producers, um, how to start your own record labels. These are all things that we're going to try and do and have up on the platform, uh, you know, as free guides for anybody that wants to sell music. And um, yeah, cindertrack.com. And you can email us again at accounts at cindertrack.com and follow us, uh, Cindertrack Music, on social media. 
And that is C-I-N-D-E-R-T-R-A-C-K. Correct. Correct. Cool. Yes. Well, Ben, man, I'm excited about this. Uh, so hopefully we'll have you back soon and you can give us a little update of all the great things you're doing for the community. <laughs> great, man. It'll be awesome. So, Looking forward to it. Thanks, Eddie. Man, was that great or was that great? If you'd like to learn more, you can go to cindertrack.com create an account for free and also to help out the channel you can use the affiliate code eddie v e-d-d-y and then the letter v as in victory also if you have any more questions about previous episodes new ways to make money different opportunities feel free to send us a message on instagram or facebook at music movement and all right remember you're just one step away from changing your lives we'll see you next week